makes most people fail. Hello and welcome to episode 109 of What Most People Think. And old Jeff has been back out on the road. I had five shows last week, five tour shows, ended up held together with with sticky back plastic or duct tape, if you're listening to America. And factually, only one of you is. Um, so we'll drop that. But yeah, it was uh, it was great. And on a Shrewsbury, I was in Shrewsbury, sorry, Shrewsbury. I've been culturally insensitive there. I was in Shrewsbury on a Sunday night. And you all had so much energy, and and frankly, you were better as an audience than I was as a comic. Uh, this is what most people think, or or if you like a podcast that gives a platform to Tory scum. And uh, my guest this week, co-host, we turn in. I don't know if I could call you Tory scum. I think your politics are, are broader and harder to pin back. But small C conservative scum, Simon Evans, would that be fair? Oh, I don't know if I'm even small C conservative. I'm quite radical in some ways. I have, I have a bit of reforming yeah. zeal in certain regards. I'd quite like to overhaul the education system at a more fundamental level than I think either party is probably visualising okay. at the moment. <laughs> Radical reforming scum, Simon. <laughs> I think we're all some sort of scum now. That's a new rule in politics. Well, it's it's a funny. I mean, scum is obviously just a default insult. But if you think, I suppose it's what's left behind after the waters of, of the flood waters have risen and then washed away. Yeah, and uh, that does feel like the state that Br- Britain is in at the moment. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of things at the moment that are bleak, and you see, you see it. Um, obviously, there's a lot of things people are worried about, but it does manifest in a certain testiness, all all round testiness. I've noticed mm. in the week or so. I, I saw somebody saying earlier, and I, I talked about this on Twitter. That there was, a, I think, a Labour Party sort of fringe group saying that the pandemic had only ever reinforced the sort of social media bubble kind of mentality, and I think there is some truth to that. People are just much ruder to each other online than they would be in real life, mm. and if that becomes your default mode of conversation, then you can sometimes carry that over into an actual car journey or something if you're not careful. You know? Yeah, there should be a threshold of insult that triggers a, a legally mandatory face-to-face meeting. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with Jordan Peterson said the difference between men and women and men and men is that men and men, when they talk to each other, know that it could escalate to violence if they're not yes. careful, whereas women have never had that point made to them, you know. I don't know. The say I grew up on, I mean, there were some women that <laughs> were painfully aware. I had, I had a very protected childhood, so there was uh, There were some women that were on, on their third week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> are you are you back out gigging reasonably regularly Simon mm. you September has been insane I've been it's been the hardest touring I've ever done I think absolutely crammed them in and it's brilliant because I love that because as you know you know you only get better you get more and more match fit I've never gigged so hard as to actually get tired of it I think I'm always better night after night I'm tightening up and yeah I feed off it you know I think if you don't feed off it I don't think you'd be able to do it for very long at all, you know. Mm. I think there are two kinds of people broadly in that way, that there are some that find it tiring and there are some that find it gives them energy and I'm very much in the second camp in that respect. I I, I would like to, I'd so like to echo that, but I had five back-to-back last week and um, I I, I was a bit knackered. I was a bit knackered. I (laughs) I did one on stage in Monmouth, but the shows were all great, but what it took to make it a good show, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. This sounds a bit arty Like, what I had to give Simon on stage. You had to dig deeper. I had to really dig deep. What is is tonight about? Um, I mean, the good thing about comedies is it's all about the same thing, make them fucking laugh, really. Um, Well, for me, the tiring part is definitely travel is tiring. I have been driving on this one because it's been zigzagging all over the place, and and, uh, which is partly, I think, uh, an artefact of having been rescheduled twice, you know, that yeah. when they first have a go at it, your agent do try and put together a coherent roadmap of the country, but by this time, it's broken yeah. biscuits, you know. I mean, I've got but, to... uh, So, yeah, the driving is tiring, but the gigging is not tiring. No, no. I mean, what do you do? So, I mean, one, we should absolutely say that, that Simon Evans is on tour and you'd be an idiot if you're not going to see the store, if you haven't got tickets already. And um, But what do you do? Do you have support or do you do two halves of 40 minutes or what's the... Yeah, I do. I probably do first half of 40, 45 and second half is actually sometimes over an hour. It's a, it's a big show because cool. it's it can expand quite a lot. If I feel the audience have got the appetite for it, hmm. then um, the second half is almost like the show and the first half is almost like the sort of warm-up. And on... In, uh, on Saturday night in Monmouth, there's a great crowd there. Um, but I don't know if you've done the Monmouth Savoy. It's on mm, it's one, of those, gig. one of those weird stages, though, that's on a slight, well, on a decent gradient. It's right. that fashion thing, so you, they can see more of you. But yeah. 
when you're as kind of like, I, I've got this thing with my inner ear, so I really had to battle with the idea that I was going to fall face first into the front row. Have you ever had that? I have had that. In fact, I, I was quite debilitated by many airs disease, I think they call it sometimes. It's sort of lost of balance. Got, yeah. yeah, yeah, I've had that. And it comes and goes. Uh, funny enough, I had it for about 18 months and it only ever once afflicted me when I was on stage, but I was at Nottingham Union. I did genuinely have to ask for a chair and sit down and yeah. I lose vertical hold. It was funny, like on an old TV set where the picture starts flicking over. Do you ever That's get that feeling? That's a brilliant feeling? way of describing So I've had it, Peter, like about every two years for the last 10 years. And I think this time is the one where I've gone right. And it tends to strike. I mean, now, now it's two old geezers talking about their ailments. It didn't, didn't, <laughs> it didn't take long for that, did it? Um, but yeah, I mean, a chair, I sort of have it a battle. So the chairs there as a security mm. but i really don't want to sit on it if you know what i mean no i think it's, it's good to have that and it's also good to have a, a cup of tea with a bit of sugar in actually funnily enough as well the same way that i would do after i've given blood you know you get that yeah. slightly lightheaded feeling and um it's it a bit doesn't of hurt to have something yeah but yeah having little comfort props that you know you can restore yourself but yeah standing on a on a severe rake i'd forgotten that monmouth has that yeah i remember it in various other ways such as being the home of miles jupp and yes. uh, there's a there's a lot of nice elements to Monmouth as a as a I don't know if it's a city it's a town I suppose isn't it but it's it's quite venerable isn't it, it has it, that kind it of thinks of itself as a city I would say that yeah. and it it took it so I, I think they like Monmouth they like being from Monmouth it well felt, it's a county town at least isn't it it's like yes. Lewis is to Sussex or whatever it's got that kind of a, it's with the old corn market and you can imagine sort of yeah. stout farmers you know bargaining over a bullock and what have you and uh, <laughs> equally quite Romania on the other hand so it's, it's a, a weird confluence of things but I I made the mistake of so I went to the Pizza Express there and I sat in the window because if you're a solo diner that is your punishment is that they'd always make you sit as <laughs> a punishment for not having any friends. probably because you're a celebrity jeff they probably were like putting you in the window like some sort of i would say that one. the person that sat me was of the demographic that was least like <laughs> to know who i was so basically under 50 and um and and she sat me there but then there was a few people that were going to the gig that knocked on the window to say hello which is nice and then another person did and i was like okay you know and i'd sort of got a bit kind of uh accustomed to to sort of giving a presidential wave. And it was Miles Jupp, who lives in the town. But he was, nice. wearing, a, he was wearing a baseball cap. But the way that I knew it was Miles Jupp was he's surrounded by five kids. And there's uh, any anyone who knows comedy well will know, he's got a lot of kids. He and, has. It's almost like, I mean, he does a lot of acting. And I think he's like almost tried to kind of create a brood that he can bring yeah, with him as part of the offer. You know, they put on their CVs, can horse riding and archery and can bring <laughs> a, you know... <laughs> He can play was it Mary Poppins or something, you know. And he's still like he's <laughs> still only, only just forty. In incredible. I know. Yeah, he's packed yeah. a lot in. He's he's a very um, productive individual. He makes me feel quite ashamed of myself sometimes. Does he does he sort of exemplify this thing that people sometimes forget about Boris Johnson is that when people talk about like being virile and potent is is a very ancient thing that we tend to be impressed by. So mm. anyone that's had loads of kids, there's the, at the lowest level, you go, Well, that works pretty well. So I mean, I've always admired the fact that Miles Jupp's produced a lot of kids. Maybe a lot of the British public feel the same about Boris. I think it helps if it's within the context of a functioning marriage. I think yeah. that probably yeah, has a certain... I mean, I couldn't think <laughs> of anyone morally more different in some ways, but... No, absolutely. He is almost like a satire on Boris, like this Boris, do you see? With the one woman. <laughs> <laughs> but there may be, maybe there's a part of Britain just going, well, he's a swordsman, I'll give him that. Yeah, um, no, I'm sure that's true. I so I've got to give you credit for something that you said that a few people drew attention to was you you were very um sort of uh premature not premature, early in calling out the whole unsafe thing. So in one of your previous appearances, you drew attention to the fact that many on the sort of progressive left or the woke left, whatever you want to call it, were sort of using that as a way of a sort of a karate kid crane kick element oh. way of, of, of ending arguments and now that word unsafe comes out so quickly in any debate yeah it has been weaponized to, to a tremendous degree and and of course in the in a similar way to sort of self-idea and all those sort of things it's very subjective because you just have to say you make me feel unsafe you yeah. don't have to demonstrate a lack of safeness you know um somebody I've, i can't remember if this is i think this has happened since i last spoke to you but I, I got into a conversation um about sort of black lives matter and stuff with somebody and they said that there was an episode of jerry seinfeld's talking to comedians in cars getting coffee you know that that podcast yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. i haven't been able to find it so i think you may have been confused but he claimed that chris rock was in the car with jerry seinfeld on one occasion and they were pulled over by the police 
for speeding or whatever. And Chris Rock said to Jerry Seinfeld before the cop arrived, how are you feeling right now? And Jerry Seinfeld was like, I'm fine. This might be a fine, but you know, nothing more than that. You know, obviously my license is in order. And Chris Rock went, because I am feeling terrified. My heart is going, because, you know, implying that because he's black, yeah. he's in, his life is in, in danger. Now yeah. I think Chris Rock is a tremendous comedian. And to be fair, it's also made extraordinarily insightful and quite brave commentary on like race relations yeah, and stuff. Yeah. But that to me is just bullshit. I'm sorry. Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld sitting in an expensive car with cameras like it's just no threat. I mean, and it's really irresponsible of Chris Rock to argue that there is a genuine threat, that as a black man, you just get shot randomly by police. It just doesn't happen. And, to you know, this is like it's really seriously deranged. Yeah, I suppose it cultivates a feeling that's not productive for society. If, if, we was try, if I was trying to play devil's advocate, maybe he had a feeling from his youth that he struggled yeah. to shake off. I mean, I, so, and, and I'm not equating this with a black experience at all, but as a, as a working class white male who dressed accordingly and drove like a twat, um, I was I was stopped a lot uh, as, as a kid, you know, like as a teenager and stuff and pulled over quite, quite like insanely, like, like meat wagons boxing me in, you know, literally running me on the, off the road and stuff. So it took wow. me quite a while in adulthood to kind of work out that, that it wasn't the same thing. However, if if I got older and then was Chris Rock, I would have to say that I would think... <laughs> I, 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 I would He's hope. not even driving, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I suppose, you, no, you're right. It's probably a bit like, I remember Lee Hurst saying that um, he burned a lot of money on um, they think it's all over, but he still couldn't walk past a skip. <laughs> Had <laughs> <laughs> to have a nose around, see yeah. what might have been chucked out. Well, Frank Skinner also is famously thrifty, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, no matter how many millions he earns from comedy, he's still that is true. You, there are some things you never leave. No, that's a fair point. Maybe what he was joking about was that so much. Yeah, I suppose I'm just really kind of like my my antennae twitch really quickly when anyone claims, you know, as you say, lack of safety. But well, yeah, I, mean, I spoke about this the, the other week though about the kind of hyperbole, and, and, and maybe it's always been around, but. You know, for example, with, you know, there are supply line issues with certain foods that very quickly becomes the shelves are empty. You know, there's no mm. the, the, the leap to, you know, oh, you cannot get seen by the NHS. Like there is seems to be more, you know, maybe it's not more of a tendency on the left, but there's certainly more coverage given to it. And and that's that's the takeaway that people people have, you know, like these extreme sentiments that get purchased. I wonder now when I look back, because obviously you and I are reasonably happy with the fact that there's a Tory government, and even though I've seen you say that, you know, you voted for a Tory government, you just wish you'd got one. But, you know, I understand what you mean, but I suppose it'd been extraordinary circumstances in terms of, you know, how much uh, borrowing has had to go on and so on. But broadly speaking, it feels like it's a, it, when you say these things, it's like it's as a result of Brexit or whatever, and you feel mm. defensive about that because you're like, no, no, no. Yeah, I would like to go go back and look at, for instance, the winter of discontent, which is a term that's been thrown around a bit now. We're saying we're having another winter of discontent. Will there be yeah. shortages on that level? And I seem to remember the winter of discontent being uh, some people saying that was a huge, like a, a sort of Tory press confabulation that was essentially yeah. used to to ease Callahan out of um, out of Downing oh, Street. Oh, oh, oh. The idea that there were unburied bodies sort of rotting on every street corner. Yeah, and yeah, stuff, yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, once I mean, in the same way with DNHS was. Do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, the the thing that triggered everything in this country most was the images of people in Italy not able to be seen. That yeah, yeah. escalated everything. So it plays into the most fundamental idea of the breakdown of, of society. Same as like fuel, which we will get onto. The same as yeah. fuel. It's like it's so simple. I might get sick and no one will help me. I might not be able to drive back from the place that I go. I might not have butter. Like these are the mm. most like like fundamental things and and the complicity with, with, with stoking that i mean like you know i mean as i say we'll get onto it but but like i spoke to a lot of people just to try and get a sense of what the supermarket shortages were in reality and it did seem that there were a few perishables that weren't being replaced as much as possible as usual i got a few i've been in supermarkets quite a lot over the last uh two weeks because touring every day you know you can't go yeah. up touring with a fridge or whatever so you're in and out shops a lot and yeah i have seen patches of bare shelf you know which mm. is a little bit unusual but most of the time it's been i think it's been things like a certain kind of you know energy bar or something there are still three or four other kinds of energy bar yeah, that are yeah, available yeah. you know i don't think it's hit sort of soviet levels but of course it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy you know i mean one i always think it's quite funny how there's a sort of gap between how we like to think 
we behave and what is correct behaviour now and how easily triggered we are into irrational or very selfish behaviour. Remember, it's a wonderful life, the, everyone's mm. favourite Christmas movie, you know. There's that point halfway through when there's a run on the bank because they hear that, you know, he hasn't got any cash in the bank and so they want to take out all their savings and he manages to calm them down and they just take what they have and they need for the day and he spends his honeymoon fund on it and he gets them through that, you know, over that. Well, everyone recognises that that's how we should all behave in these circumstances mm. and nobody does. <laughs> <laughs> immediately become venal lizards, you know, just like crawling over each other to get to the goats. Uh, we're just going to do a quick uh, cuss count for last week. So last week was a solo episode, traditionally higher, 1.25 swears a minute. I think that's probably too much. 40 fuckings is, is incredible, given it was a 45-minute episode. So, I mean, that, that tells its own story. Uh, Roger Hunt would have been happy with that. Oh, was, was he a big, yeah, rest in peace, <laughs> Roger Hunt. I mean... What did he score, like three goals? 40 goals in 40 matches during his best season. That's not yeah. bad, is it? No, that was Roger Hunt-style uh, swearing there. Uh, in terms of the, the leaderboard, Tom, this will be your fourth appearance. You're currently on 2.66 swears, which is at lower end of the table or higher. That include the bollocks. The bollock, bollocks would go in there, I think. But I think oh. that what, where you can make an impact, if you wish to, I think is, you know, we're doing elaborate and creative swearing. We're, we're sort of having a focus. <laughs> on, so if, if, some, if something, you know, kind of... If there's a sort of portmanteau swear word or a little hyphenated one, I'm then... not fond of the of the whimsical cock womble sort of type of thing. I, hope that, not, I, yeah. did, I was into it about four years ago, and then it sort of once there was a certain sort of bloke that felt that he was guaranteed a laugh just for saying it. It's like wearing a mankini, yeah, yeah. like wearing a mankini on a stag do. Yeah, so, yeah. I feel like a cock womble now is something I could quite legitimately ask my mum to knit for me. You know. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, a very sort of like 1920 form of prophylactic. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned uh, last week about the people that cannot seem to accept that the UK have done OK in terms of reducing CO2. And David Domain, who's a Patreon who puts together the cuss count, uh, he came back to me and he said, from what I can gather, the UK's CO2 output peaked in 2001 has been falling year on year ever since. The same example is that there are now just three coal coal. Coal-fired power stations left in the UK, all due to close by 2025, yet India and China are opening new coal burners all the time. So what his point he makes is protesters might be better off going abroad to do their demonstrating, but good luck in China. <laughs> I mean, yeah. David Domain... Good luck in France, never mind China. Good, yeah, good luck. Good luck. I mean, that is the funny thing, isn't it? Is, is that you do sense sometimes that the inability to say that Britain's done anything well is, is, is about more than the cause. It's a fundamental belief that Britain can't it just can't have done anything well. We're always yeah. Artists. No, it's true, and it's it. Yeah, it's deep seated as part of a, a certain kind of British mentality. It's been there for a long time. Obviously, George Orwell talked about it a lot. You know, the yeah. uh, the, the the cringe that a certain kind of person would feel about they would sooner wouldn't he say they would sooner rob from the poor plate than uh, in the church than um, than than sort of uh, accept that British you know express any kind of patriotic attitude, stand for the yeah. royal anthem, the national anthem, or whatever. Yeah, I mean. In a way, I suppose you could say it shades quite nicely into what I think is quite an appealing part of our nature, you know, a certain kind of, it's almost like a sort of forces humour, you know, a kind of, yeah. oh, well, it's, 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 it's foobar, but we'll do our best, you know, we'll patch it up and bodge yeah, it, and, yeah, yeah. you know. There's a certain kind of deeper-seated confidence in the nation, in a way, in the ability to continually discredit and criticise it. Yeah, yeah. suggest you don't, you think it can take it, basically. No, no, so that's maybe a good point. That. Yeah, that is sort of fundamentally British, isn't it? Because, I mean, like, there's a certain level of patriotism that's far too American, you know. And yeah. it, like, the, 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 the most kind of legitimate form of British patriotism is saying, look, it's not that bad, really. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. Those postcards of, of uh, the weather in the Lake District, you know, it's either yeah. raining or it's about to rain, you know. That yeah, I mean, of... they're quite nice to gaze. You know, yeah. it's all right. You know, it's most tolerant. No one's saying it's the best place in the world. Um, we got uh, new patrons. I made an appeal last week because I'm, I'm sticking with my model of no adverts and pure Patreon funding. I mean, apart from all the self-advertising I do, but, you know, uh, that means I don't know. I'm not answerable to the corporations, man. And but I also <laughs> pointed out that hardly any ladies uh, were patrons. And I sort of accused them of being like those women that never buy their own round. And this does seem to have... Uh, uh, caused a spike in this week's new patrons. So we'll just go... Wow. Uh, among among men. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got Simon Hall here. As ever, we've sort of speculated what their names mean. Simon Hall, it's very hard to imagine you as anything owner, uh, the owner of like a, 
a sort of a transnational steel corporation there, um, like a sort of northerner who started with a bit of money that became very rich, maybe more like a Jack Walker type figure. Um, Finn Diamond, Finn Diamond, which I'm guessing isn't the the real Finn Diamond, just sounds like a sort of new kind of diamond uh, that's made in labs. Uh, Lucy Adelstein, Annie Harrison, Hillary Moon. Let's hear it for the girls. We've got female patrons here. This is what we need. I mean, I'm, I'm saying this as in we need balance. What I really mean is m- money. We're like, we're <laughs> yeah, you're doing well. You've got you've lamed about as many as I've got. I think at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, after a, a few lean weeks, a few lean weeks, uh, we've got Andrew Elliott here. That's uh, Andy Elliott. That doesn't scan very well. Andrew Elliott. Is, is there any way of saying his name? How do you say his name in a sort of stag do way? Andrew Elliott. When we um, were naming our, our daughter, Matilda, we, we came up with in the end, but it's difficult because Evan starts with a vowel and a lot of girls' names end with a vowel. Yes, do, yeah. So we gave her a middle name, which was Rose. So if you ever want to make it Matilda Rose Evans, it just sounds a little, it just rolls. So maybe Andrew needs yeah. Rose in the Andrew Rose Elliott. That sounds quite <laughs> nice, doesn't it? The Andrew Rose Elliott Theatre. That sounds like a theatre in, in Suffolk. Um, Josh Kerr, who I think is a returning patron, we do have seen have this issue of Patreon just cancelling people's accounts because, uh, you know, they're easy things to get Patreon. So what you really want to do is just test their loyalty by randomly cancelling their account. But it's good to have you back, Josh. Uh, and Max Forsyth. I mean, it's very hard. That is two showbiz legend names together, isn't it? Max Forsyth. Absolutely. Was um I I remember there were there were three Maxes. There was Max Wall, Max Bygraves, and Max Miller. Uh, Miller, who were all apparently the top earning light entertainers in the country at one time or another. And somebody was saying that that was obviously it was like wearing a red shirt in the premiership. You know, you have to you have to kind of increase your chances. Yes. So Max is a pretty strong stage name. That's a good showbiz name. Uh, but welcome yeah. all of you and thanks for your support. A quick thank you uh, and a fuck you this week before we get onto the first subject. Did you have one for either of these, Simon? Oh well, it's, it's 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 a couple of weeks old, really. But I was I was on Aisha Hazarika's show on uh, on Times Radio uh, yeah. about ten days ago, and I got cut off just at the end. I lost signal, and um, so I didn't get to give my hero and villain. So I want to do it now. So it's Norm Macdonald yeah. is my hero. Who oh yeah, yeah, brilliant Canadian comedian who passed. Brilliant through. comedian, and not particularly well known in this country, but in a nice way, I think a lot of people became aware of him due to his death and and have investigated him. And there's low. Of course, this is the nice thing in a way when mm. when you lose somebody like that now there's there's like loads of stuff on the internet you can go back and visit but that was a guy who kept his head and, and held his line um as the madness descended over american comedy you know in the wake yeah. of trump coming in and he was a really exceptional figure in in that regard and it only made more exceptional now by the realization that he already knew he was dying from cancer over the last nine years or so i think yeah yeah no, so, i mean if yeah. you want to do a youtube deep dive on and i would say look at his stand-up but also look at a lot of his chat show appearances because it's really hard to describe his funny bones yeah. because they're unlike anything else. There's also, there's an audio recording of a roast that he did of Bob Saget. And so roasts are a, a more American thing where they go and they're absolutely brutal. But he, it's very hard. To, I mean, you've got to listen to it to understand it. But he goes in with some really old fashioned jokes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like just- he, he played with the form a lot. And I think he really appealed. He was in a way a bit of a comedian's comedian in that regard, because he obviously knew w- what was the expectation of where this joke was going to go. Yeah. And he would play with your with your expectations. But having said that, you didn't need to be like a comedian at all to enjoy that because we're all familiar with the tropes. But he was always mischievous. There's a, there was a great one where he was on, um, is it called The View, the thing that would be Goldberg hosts? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like Loose Women. And he was on that talking about some Me Too controversy. And the way he's just like, toying with their their kind of earnest demands for confession and capitulation and you know it's just kind of he's really earnest and at the same time it just keeps popping mints in his mouth <laughs> looking like this. Is there it's, anything it's an that, absolute masterclass brilliant, is there a brilliant. few things express inner confidence like eating in the company of others while other people yeah. are <laughs> such a fucking power play isn't it it really is tony soprano was always chowing down on the spaghetti oh yeah 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 well, that is funny that you mentioned that because that was even in The Godfather, wasn't it? I think it must be a thing, possibly just Sicilian or possibly organised crime or possibly the mix of the two. But there seems to be a thing that in, like in Italian-American culture, it's understood that you, if you feel comfortable with people, you eat and talk at the same time, you know. I, I really like that, you know. On a really primitive level, if you was out catching food in the wild, if you continue to eat, that means that you don't fear the immediate <laughs> competitors, you know. Yeah. So maybe yeah. that's the message it sends out. Yeah, I, I caught this gazelle and I don't think any of you can take it off me. 
my son told me that when we take Bucky, our golden retriever, for a walk in the woods and he gets into that position, that means he's going to do a... I don't know if this is going to go into the swear count because I'm meaning the term literally, I mean, but he's going to take a shit. Yeah. You know that kind of weird hunch they go into? If yes, you ever look yes. at a dog and you're walking a dog and then he looks you in the eye and he wants to check that you're looking out for him. <laughs> That's what my son says, because he's like, I am briefly vulnerable and I need yeah. to know that you, as the pack leader, are, are, have got my back here. Yeah. I think it's maybe a little bit like that. I guess the biggest power play would be to actually, you know, conduct negotiations. Yeah, yeah. Well, while like, you're on the crapper, you know. With your eyes closed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to do, I, I can do the fuck you because I have to get this off my chest. And I think as a comic, you'll understand. I did the Saturday night. Uh, tour show in Monmouth and then I, I was in Shrewsbury the following day so I went to a place that was equidistant in Droitwich sometimes you, you're too up to go straight back to a hotel anyway a little drive went to a holiday in but got there about half 10 this was about a 40 mile drive and they said oh yeah we've given away your room um given away what? your room I was like immediately I mean I was, I was furious about that she says I have booked you out to another place and I thought okay the worst that happens is that I get a free hotel room somewhere else and she said it's in Gloucester which was exactly the place that I'd just driven from and now <laughs> you, got, you got to bear in mind so so this was like in the in the midst of a fuel shortage right where I was having to really keep an eye on things she's just added 80 miles to my journey I was so it was so surreal. I didn't. I really don't blame you, mate. That is appalling. And I've noticed that hotel rooms are a real premium at the moment. I couldn't yeah. find. I drove from Colchester. I went via Manchester on Friday night and um, saw Genesis just randomly on the way, which was yeah. interesting. I'll come back to that in a minute. And then I, my gig was in the Lake District, and I thought, well, I'll just head off and I'll, you know, I'll find a travel lodge along the way. Every single one totally booked up, and hotels were charging like three hundred quid for for a room. What is going on? Is it is it I like don't know. people? Because no one's flying anywhere, really, not yet. Is I think it, that must be it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of staycation. People, yeah, and and all the people that that didn't go for the inflated prices during school holiday because September, I've been astonished at how hard it is to get hotel rooms, and even on like weeknights, you know, the hotel bars which tend to only be buzzing if like you know if it's one near old Trafford and United are playing the next day they're like that on a fucking Tuesday you know what I mean yeah it's just yeah. In there, no it's mad and nobody nobody actually quite knows why because to be honest in the lakes for instance it didn't look like it was full of tourists yeah you know it didn't look any more I honestly don't know what's going on it's weird it's 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 almost as if they've got lower capacity or something but I don't think that can be it so no, no. well if you look if you work in the hotel industry email in what most people think uk at gmail.com and that that is the most like local radio that my podcast will ever have. <laughs> okay let's get on to our first big subject of the week which is fuel Okay, so let's get a quick chronology of this. Uh, on Thursday last week, everything was fine. Everything was, well, you know, not 100% fine, but it was ticking over. Then late on Thursday night, there was a story that ran on Sky and BBC that said that industry insiders in BP were concerned that roughly 1% of their forecourts were experiencing ongoing problems. And I don't know about you, Simon, but the moment I saw that story, I was like, this will become a panic. There's absolutely no way this can't become a panic now. Because, uh, and this was leaked, by the way. So it, you have to ask yourself, whether you're pro-government or anti-government, who leaked this information and to what end, right? Yeah. It been legitimate ends, but someone has leaked it for a reason. And then inevitably, a journalist has to ask, should we panic? And a government minister has to say, don't panic. And then we're obliged to panic. Was there any way that this could have played out any differently? Well, it's a... God, I don't, I don't know how it could have done because you're absolutely right. Of course, panic is only panic is like the opposite of the stock market, isn't it? It's, it's mm. nobody is ever trying to work out which stocks are worth, you know, how much. Hardly any investors are analysing the, mm. you know, the, the turnover or the capitalisation of the company or its its viability in the long term. They're just trying to guess what other people will think those things are. Yeah. you're always second guessing, and then and then very quickly you're second guessing what other people will be guessing other people think those values are. Yeah, fuel most of the time isn't subject to that because there's plenty of it, and you just get it when you want it. You know, but as soon as it becomes a will other people panic kind of calculation, mm. you've gone into like the world of the prisoner's dilemma. You know, it's into game theory, and then you're you know, it's like a chaos uh, calculation. You know, it can go anywhere. It could spiral out of control, or or it could or it could just pass without anyone noticing. You know, I Did doubt you... whoever leaked it actually wanted to create a panic. 
I, I can't. I'm, I'm not. I'm not convinced anyone would be that malicious. But but was it somebody within the haulage because they wanted leverage for the? Maybe the government did need to do this, which was to take temporary measures in terms of overseas mm. visas. You know, there was there was some reason that this was done. Yeah, it could be that. And I don't. I'm no expert on haulage. But I, I do find it convincing that people say that there is going to be a correction. I think over the next few years, or at least the next eighteen months or so, uh, and especially it would have happened earlier, but the pandemic has delayed it to some extent. But the reality is that a lot of what people, not me, you know, it wasn't my, my particular um, uh, beef with, with the EU, but a lot of people's argument with the EU was that by allowing freedom of movement, and in particular people coming from much poorer countries to, to the UK, employers like haulage firms had access to a certain class of, of worker who were willing to endure much worse conditions and lower pay and just generally a miserable life to do a job that, that a British worker might consider beneath them. And there's going to be a period of adjustment. You know, we've, we've achieved that, that restriction on that access to that labour, but it's not going to happen overnight. Mm. And it will take probably a series of shocks and possibly even, you know, shortages and, and a, a little bit of pain for those adjustments to be made. I don't think in the long term it will be possible as an HGV driver to put three kids through private school. Do you know what I mean? It's not going to be like something that... Yeah, how, how high scales you know? are they going to get to the point where they're being yeah. off at the tanker by a chauffeur-driven car? Yeah, exactly, you know. <laughs> but I think there might be a correction and people might be going, oh, well, this is kind of actually is what we voted for, but there's, that's the way the market works. You need to feel a bit of pain before... People go, okay, we are now actually going to have to consider what are the conditions we expect drivers to work in. You know, how often, how many nights a week are they expected to sleep in a lay-by? Having myself slept in a lay-by mm. on Friday night because all the travel lodges were taken, I can tell you it's not much fun. I know you have a proper bed in your cab, but it's, you know, even so, it's, yeah, not, it's, it's not, not nice. It's not a comfortable experience. I mean, I no. think the, the Brexit obviously circles in and around this. And I think, you know, when it comes to the supply chain shortages in supermarkets, that's a legitimate uh, criticism. But when it when it's, it's quite clearly not as clear cut here. But then you get loads of people going on online straight away because they want to say, "Oh, thank you very much, Brexit." E even though mm. it's it's not entirely clear. But what is odd, I think, is is that that we were told a lot, you know, throughout the the Brexit campaign, in that the 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 flood of cheap labour wasn't driving down wages, right? That that was you know that was really sold to us by mainstream media and yet you know within a very short space of time of us not having access to that wages in hospitality and uh, lorry drivers at the bottom end have gone up so that's been the most surprising thing to me is because i sort of bought into that logic when you think about it it's illogical it, like you say if you've got lots of people that are willing to do temporary work so they might be able to sort of doss down at their mates for a few weeks you know earn some good currency and then go home it's a different situation for british workers so it's very odd that the left on the one hand that should be their kind of absolute home ground and they have very little to say about it but short-term inconvenience seems to be the yeah, yeah. The well you're right it is weird that it was the left and of course there were people on the left in the labor in the labor party who weren't keen on the eu and hadn't been for a Absolutely, very long time yeah. you know and, and that Corbyn, was probably in one of them yeah yeah, exactly. That's probably one of the reasons that we had Brexit was because the Labour Party had a very kind of tepid campaign. But the um, but you're right. The, the the sentiment being that you know you should be looking at people who are low skilled, you know, broadly speaking, uncredentialed workers who are yeah. subject to market forces more than middle class people who might be able to sort of hop and skip and jump and retrain and what have you. That those are the people who need some degree of protection in the law. That does seem to completely eluded the Labour Party in the last 10 or 15 years. They've just completely forgotten about that principle. The preoccupations they have at the current conference are just laughable. But even when they do get onto economics, that doesn't seem to be the core argument anymore. It's bizarre. There are economic arguments why, obviously, even poor people benefit from having freedom of movement. I mean, you know, it's not simple, obviously, you know. And, you know, economic strength might depend on it in the long term. You know, we may have, I think a lot of it has been for some time now, no political party has been willing to say, without immigration, you're going to really struggle because you have an aging population. People just don't die anymore having kids, you know. Yeah, yeah, you white people don't have that many kids. No, well, nobody does once they reach a certain degree. Basically, once you start educating women, you know, that's the last, that's the end of your of your race, you know. And I understand that. I wouldn't fancy going through, you know. The occasional Miles Jupp is able to squire a Thank God, yeah, Miles Jupp. He's having a shoulder having to do a lot of the heavy lifting isn't he given the 
the relative sort of sperm stinginess that we're seeing. Absolutely. I've, I've been reading, my surprise, you or your listeners, been reading a bit of Virginia Woolf this last couple of weeks. We're listening to it on, in, on Audible Books in the car. And one of her most famous books, To the Lighthouse, which is a middle-class family on, on, uh, in their summer house in, on the Isle of Skye um, with friends and family around them. And, and the matriarch of that, who's married to a, a university philosophy professor, has eight children all in the house running around. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's like a different species. Do you know what I mean? The, the idea <laughs> yeah. that, that, you know, that would be like kind of comparing, you know, the, um, the, the, uh, the evolutionary strategy of, of mice to elephants or something. <laughs> it just yeah. doesn't well, happen the anymore. The kind of parent you can be when you've got eight is not comparable yeah. to the one you could be. It's, uh, Rom- Romish said something very funny once. He goes, like, the moment you have more than two, you have to move from man-to-man marking to sort of zonal defence system. And did you, were you able to get petrol over the weekend while you were traveling and stuff? Did you- yeah, I, I mean, I got a couple of warning texts from my agent, my wife and stuff, and she said she'd been, you know, had to wait an hour in a queue to get some, which she was panicking about. Would, if she ran out, would she just be stuck somewhere, you know, without me to go and collect her and stuff? Mm. You can understand why different people in different situations start to feel the cold chill, you know, the, the, down the spine. I, I, I was fine. I, 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 Whenever I saw a petrol station which didn't have a queue, I got some, and there were two or three that didn't. I ended up paying, I think, a little bit over the odds at one of them, but you know that's not a big deal when you're on tour, to be honest. So um, no, I got I got the I got the super unleaded as well, which I didn't normally do, but I reckon that you get an extra thirty miles out of a full tank. So I thought I was just thinking clever, like for the extra investment. I don't know if that's how it works. I thought it was cleaner for your engine's long-term lifespan or something. I thought I thought that was the difference. I might be wrong. I don't know, but it felt great to have made that decision. It sort of felt like I'd made a kind of middle-of-the-road sort of motoring Bear grills type calculation. Yeah, well, if, listen, if you've been stood in a queue and you wait and you think, when I get there, I'm going to treat myself to some really good petrol this well, time. What I also thought, and this is like the most the rubbish sort of like form of socialism, was I thought, at this point in time, I can afford the extra for this. So if that leaves some of the normal unleaded behind for people, mm. maybe I'm a brilliant human being. You are, and I think it is almost certainly cleaner for the environment as well. I can't. I don't think it's like in the old days when you went like, "I'll have it extra leaded," you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I am. I am an absolute top bloke. Um, the you know, given the way that this this played out, like, and you look at the way that the bog roll shortage played out, pasta. You know, you look at the people going on antidepressant, and you know, obviously, I, I see it as an important medication, but there is this argument that that people do it too lightly. Have we lost the ability to calibrate with risk? Like our lives have become so comfortable, but the, the merest evidence that there's going to be no continuity in what we depend on, mm, we mm. freak the fuck out. Or, or is that, am I, am I kidding myself? Were, the, I mean, the, the, the fuel shortages before, I remember these happening when there was even less cause for it um, than there currently is. I mean, we've had fuel shortage scares for a long time. Somebody shared a picture the other day of, uh, I think it was from about 1998, of it, it was an mm. advert for the for the trains, for British Rail, as it was then, I think, yeah. or maybe a bit earlier, saying, you know, we're going to run out of oil soon. And it was a picture of an abandoned petrol station, you know, and, mm. and the train was the, was the answer to this. It's been a concern for a long time. I think people do worry about it for various reasons. But I do think we are addicted to homeostasis, yeah, and it's not good for us. You know, the idea that we shouldn't experience any sort of disruption in an absolutely mm. steady state we like to be at the same temperature indoors and out you know we like to come in <laughs> and the immediate you know if, you, if people have their heating on all over you know right through the night and all kinds of stuff that it's it's proven that it's very good for us to plunge into a frozen sea you know or or, yeah, to, yeah, uh, yeah. or to expose yourself indeed in to extreme heat and, and i suppose i expect that it would also be good for us probably to experience um the, the need to adapt to carlessness for a couple of days sometimes you know but uh, but you can understand why people are thinking it's going to cause a chain reaction. If I don't get the petrol, I can't pick up the kids. If I can't pick up the kids, then I won't be home in time to do that. Yeah. And before you know it, you've lost your job. You know, and, and that is a worry to people. I think especially at the moment when, I mean, I have this feeling like I have kind of let certain principles run a little bit because my priority now is to get back to earning as much as possible every single day, yeah. you know, and I have no interest in anything that might compromise that capacity on my yeah. behalf. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I will get me double vax and I will stick all the lateral flow tests up in mean, anything, you know, and I might have some suspicions that this isn't necessarily for the long-term health of society, yeah. but I'm, I'm just playing by the rules and doing everything. Yeah, no, I we, can might, we might eventually grow an extra ear, but as long as we had a busy autumn, 
Exactly. <laughs> what I need more than that. What I need more than having a, an extra year is to, ju- to just pay off some credit card debt, really. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and that's, I think, fair enough. You know, we all have, we, we all like to think we have principles, but they don't usually survive the first punch on the nose, do they? My, my, mine did not at all. I mean, one, one last thought on this subject was when I did get petrol, I mean, obviously it was a slightly unsettling feeling just driving around. If it, invariably, I was able to get it, you know, within reasonable time. I think it was easier on the motorways than in town somehow. Because uh, in town, people could just drive around the corner and sit in a queue, but few, very few people go to sort of lead Delamere services just for petrol. But when I did get petrol, like the euphoria and the atmosphere in the kiosk was carnival-type atmosphere. <laughs> people felt like so privileged to just... I treated myself. I actually bought more food. I thought I'm going to have a really good time because for the next sort of like 200 miles, I don't have to worry about this now. Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, there, there is no greater pleasure in life, is there, than the release of, of tension like that? That's essentially your job. You know, your setup is the is the fear of the fuel crisis, and then yeah. the punchline comes in, and the tank is full again. And yeah, the, the, the thing that the gig is never the most enjoyable thing. The best bit of any gig is realizing afterwards that it wasn't a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Let's move on uh, to talk about our dear friend Angela Rayner. Okay, so Angela Rayner, I think the first night of conference, she was a uh, conference, she was at a fringe event, and she had a, well, it depends on how you define this, whether or not this is uh, sort of code code management of a working class woman, but she had a fairly outspoken rant, maybe even saying rant is problematic, but in which she said that the Tories were scum, homophobic, racist, probably transphobic, I mean, she threw out a lot of phobics, uh, she called it Banana Republic, Eaton Scott. I mean, she, she was literally just throwing all sorts of Hail Mary insults. And uh, and then obviously you've got coverage to the point where you think she must have known it would get some coverage. And then you get the counter reaction and probably more prevalent on social media, which is people going, well, she's just telling the truth or well, she didn't go far enough. My question, Simon, is, is when people say stuff like that, is what they really mean was when I read this, I felt like when I heard this or read what she'd said, I felt really validated and good. And it gave me a bit of a kick. But I don't really want to think about the wider ramifications of this sort of language. You could, you, 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 well, you weren't worried that it's coarsening the debate generally or that it's, it's dragging well, yeah, down? Like the... I think that the people that were okay with it, what they mean is like, yeah, like, yeah you do it. Yeah, yeah. And they're literally yeah. thinking outside of the moment of what the Labour Party should be doing right now. Well, you know, it's a, it's again, it's a thing about social media, maybe as 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 kind of heightened this that there is that always that thing. Are you are you trying to persuade anyone who is fifty fifty, or or, yeah. or indeed opposed to your views, or are you simply playing to the gallery, signalling? Are you basically giving something for your home fans to cheer? And clearly, that is an example of the second half, isn't it? It's extraordinarily divisive, and if she's if she thinks she's going to win only any new converts. But you could argue that it, it, it kind of energizes and motivates and reassures people that they haven't softened, you know, and that there is this, I suppose the Labour Party have some fear under Keir Starmer that they're becoming a bit of a grey goo, that they've sort of yeah, lost yeah. their edge a little bit, you know. They miss already missed the days when which Jeremy Corbyn could arouse kind of old-fashioned sentiments and the red flag kind of, uh, you know. Yeah. A child, hand, hand yeah. on breast kind of thing, you know. So no, she's no, trying no. to regain that, maybe. I don't know, but no, I don't find her very plausible at all. I, the, I, what worries me is I don't think she can operate on any other level than that. I don't know that no. she's chosen. I honestly think that is roughly she is playing at you know at her level there, and that's what worries me really. Not so much that she's chosen to, as that if she were to choose to try and operate on a sort of Michael Foot style level, you know, I just don't it know. It does that she's... seem like a, a Corbynista tweeting angrily late at night after question yeah. time, but every, every single day. And what, I was listening to Ian Dale, uh, his Crosstalk podcast. I've got to say this show, but by the way, Ian Dale, friend of this show, it's one of the best podcasts at the moment. He has brilliant guests like three or four nights a week. And it's a really digestible way of keeping up with the news. But he was talking to a Labour MP about the tone of of, of what Rainer had said. And the, the, the female Labour MP, just completely took refuge in something else. She said, well, I wouldn't want to manage the tone of a working class woman. Like, I was like, what a mm. fucking obfuscation that is. It's like, she's called yeah, yeah. somebody else scum. And then Raina herself, she took, this was a hilarious defence. She sort of said, well, where I come from, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's the way we talk to each other. It's just, it's not actually that bad a word. Absolute bollocks. Like, scum <laughs> is universally. I mean, as I said on Twitter, if I was just, if you just bowl in a pub in Bolton and just say, 
Hello, scumbags. Uh, can I use this toilet? You absolute scum. Like, it is, the- <laughs> yeah. it is the- unless you're going to call them nonces. I think that, like, I think that that is, it is clearly, I mean, she should have just said, I mean, I think you make a very good point at the beginning, is maybe the Labour Party do need someone like this in the same way that John Prescott exchanged blows with that guy that threw eggs at him. You have to have somebody with a bit of pizzazz and nobody on the Labour front bench, apart from Rayner, does have any fight in her. So maybe I'm changing my mind. No, that's the thing. You, you, you've got like, it's like, they like to have an enforcer. There was one of them, wasn't it? Was it one of the, Bev? I can never remember which one's Bevin and which one was Bevan, but one of them referred to the Tories as, as vermin, I think, yeah, back yeah. in the 1940s. It's, it's quite a well-established view. <laughs> Yeah. But the thing is, I don't think it's ever done them any good. It's like, it's that classic thing of, you know, it's the, the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and hoping for different results, you know. I don't think what's what's been missing from the Labour Party offer for the last 10 or 15 years, well, 10 years, I suppose, since they yeah. were out roughly, wasn't it? Has been a, a refusal to adequately condemn the Tory party's class privileges in strong enough language you know that yeah, is an I, issue you know I think the public have, have, have moved on the public have grown up a lot the public have, have really if all the evidence suggests that they've thrown off the old kind of uh, territorial dividing line mm. and and the parties haven't and and you know they would argue that she was talking about the Tory party and Boris Johnson in particular but it's inevitably going to play out as conservatives as a rule right so well they've, they've got this the, the, people are smart enough to look at the actual facts they can say the Tories have had two female leaders both of whom were prime ministers Labour so far yet to have a female leader despite the fact of having four to choose from against one man in the last leadership election yeah. they chose the man the Tories have now got I think uh people of Asian origin in two or is it three of the senior four of the four major mm-hmm. op- you've got pretty Patel and Sorry, he's health secretary. You've got Rishi as chancellor. Rishi as chancellor. Sajid has been in there as well. I mean, you know, and there are a number of quite senior black Tory MPs and and, and ministers as well. It just doesn't stick. And you can say transphobic, but that just draws attention to a further area of utter incoherence and a complete, you know, like a marshland, a quicksand for the Labour Party. They don't want to get stuck in that. So, well, yeah, I mean, that's so none, a, I mean, you're left with the word scum, which is just like a good old fashioned, you know, football terrorist. But what insult, it seems but, to do is it's just a way of saying I'm better. That, that seems to be the main purpose of calling someone scum is just a reminder that you have more moral fibre. It doesn't really serve any purpose. It's not going to win round any swing voters. What I think the idea of scum is it's a bit like, you know, uh, the idea is that you were elevated, as I say, by floodwaters. Essentially, you were elevated by forces beyond your control and you are in a high position which you don't deserve to be in. I don't suppose for one moment that that's in her mind, that full extended allegory, but I think that's where yeah. the term Tory scum comes from. You're, you've been left behind by the floodwaters of aristocratic tradition and you don't deserve this height, so you're high up on the side of the bus. You, you didn't just, climb there under your own efforts, you know. Yeah. It, would have really, it would have really pulled the rugs from the journalist's feet if she'd have said that. <laughs> I go, oh, well, yeah, no, actually, metaphorically, that does actually scan. You mentioned... Um, Sort of the, the the transphobic thing. So we've also had this issue at this conference with, yeah, I mean, sad to say, like genuinely sad to say, another female Labour MP doesn't feel safe to attend Labour Party conference. It happened with Luciana Berger because of anti-Semitism. Now Rosie Duffield, who's been a big, fairly outspoken about the, you know, what she believes are the consequences of biological sex. So, which has given rise to a number of, I mean, it's almost like a succession of Labour MPs on uh, on media junkets being asked. Can men have cervix or can only men have cervix? And I would say if your view is, uh, you know, this this view that men can have cervix, I'd say just say it straight away. Don't prevaricate because that moment, I mean, Rachel Reeves was the worst one of her fluffing around. You could have made one of those montages, like a supercut of her going, and, <laughs> and, and then saying, well, I just don't think we should be speaking about cervixes this, this week. But people are. And and it is, if you wanted a way to signal, it's not just that maybe their view, and I don't know this for a fact, is, is slightly different from the British public's, but it's it's so stridently different. It's like... It feels like they feel like it's a, a, a no-brainer. Like that, and yeah, yeah. meanwhile, the rest of the country are still exploring this debate. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think there is a valid reason for people, even though it affects a tiny, tiny minority of people, and even then, a minority of that minority who are actually like angry about it or whatever. I think yeah. a lot of trans people who've been trans for a long time in this country. It's not a brand new thing. I remember you probably know met trans acts, right? Comedians. Yes, yeah, I, yeah, I remember yeah. some. You know, and there was not this kind of this kind of heat and, and um, antagonism. 
I, I think it is being used very deliberately as a wedge issue and on a particular kind of, of level, which is to try and sort of dissolve people's confidence in, in their language and their, you know, the, the use of language to define the world and understand what, what things mean, you know. Mm. And if you undermine that and if you dissolve that, if you attack it, if you dissolve it in a, in a sort of like an acid of, of, of uh, academic sort of social theory, critical theory or whatever, mm. that is a really hostile thing to do to a, to a large population who don't have the benefit of, you know, of uh, academic level discussion to understand the notion of whiteness, for instance, as a, as a, as a, as a social construct, as against, yeah. I'm a white bloke. They said, they mean me, you know, that, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. you know, most people, like, including myself, you know, despite the, like, of the amount of reading I try and do to keep up with it, there's an attack from that academic left on on common sense, for one of a better word, and I think it's I think it has to be resisted. I think it has to be really, really strongly resisted because once you let it in, you know, it will eat through everything. It's like moth. And, and what you have as well is, is is you know where you have a lot of what I'm surprised at is when you have a lot of modern left wing feminists that are ill at ease with what's happening. Is if you're on mm. the same side of the political fence and you usually have the same enemies. You would think that that would be a kind of a prompt to to hear people out, like because that's my question: is if you feel that somebody like Helen Lewis or or Rosie Duffield, like, do you honestly think they want to make people unhappy for no reason? Like that they, they, they're trolling yeah. people. Like whatever yeah. side you come down on. Okay, just before we go, have you got a couple more minutes? I'd love to do a couple of letters letters with you before we wrap up. Of course, mate. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so we've got two letters this week, but I really like these ones. I do, I mean, it's, I do like people's problems, you know what I mean? Uh, so this is from Barry and Dunstable. I mean, it's the most ba Dunstable, Barry and Dunstable. I just, his, his world is... I'm I was in Dunstable a couple of days ago. I, I, I was born in Dunstable and I went to revisit. Oh, at least my parents lived there when I was born. I mean, Barry Dunstable just sounds like the greyest combination of name and place. <laughs> I've ever uh, so Barry says, I work from home during the lockdown. I thought I was, it was great to spend time with the wife and kids. Recently, my company said we won't be going back to the office till early 2023. I told my wife she, she'd thinking she'd be happy and she burst into tears. Um, what should I do? Should I rent some office space for the sake of my marriage? I'm pretty sure she loves me, but I do piss her off a lot of the time. And I think, that, I think the reason I chose that one is because I think that that might be more common than we think is that yeah. there's guys, particularly men, I think, that have gone, it's great, I see the kids, I drop off to school and stuff. But there's this woman that's just been waiting and waiting to get, certainly if she, you know, if she is uh, like a housewife, for one of a better, more modern word. And now suddenly it's been pushed back to 2023. It sounds like Barry's missus is fucking cracked, you know? I bet there are millions of people in that situation. And we're very lucky. I, 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 I work from home on and off anyway, like you, so we're kind yeah. of used to it. But also we have a reasonably, you know, a certain amount of square foot per person in this house. You can avoid yeah. people, you know. It's, I think it might might depend a little bit of just how many, how often you find yourself, like, yeah. waiting to get your go in the fridge, you know, let alone yeah. and in the Barry bathroom is, is in the in a two-up, two-down in Dunstable, and, and Dunstable yeah. is very much the home of the two-up, two-down. <laughs> <laughs> I would strongly suggest getting a bit of office space outside uh, Barry, yeah. Yeah. and I, I've done it in Brighton, and um, I personally quite like it if you can find something a little bit like unusual i've i've had i've rented space sometimes in a sort of artist studio under the arches yeah. that was a bit it dripped a bit in the winter you know and um and it was right on the edge of the seafront and uh it had it was it was almost more like the place where you might mend your nets you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> in the, on, the, so on a rainy day but yeah just get out of the house a little bit i think people do under most people in most relationships don't realize if if you're in a relationship with one other person, let's say in particular in a marriage, and you don't feel aware that the like of the other person's presence as a slightly oppressive force, yeah, the chances are that they do you. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that's you're really the, you're the oppressor without realizing it because oppressors never know that's what they're doing. But no, people, no, you're you know, absolutely, yeah, absolutely right. It's like it's like the old stand-up, like if you you know you got if you're in a group of mates and there's always one whingy bastard and if you don't, yeah, yeah. that's you. I mean, you're, abs you're absolutely right. So you just, you just, he's gone along blithely thinking, 
It's been, it's actually been a golden time. I mean, obviously it's been sad what's happened to society. Yeah. I've been there to tell her how to fold the laundry. I've been there to help her understand how to arrange the cutlery and the drawers, you know. Yeah, I've, 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 I've come down sometimes and monologued at her during my lunch break. <laughs> uh, I've, I've been riffing on some stuff that's been happening in the Zoom meeting. And <laughs> that has been, Barry, I think, I think it's good advice from Simon. Rent, uh, rent some office space for the sake of... Uh, your marriage because I, I know I, I had a similar thing too when I said to my missus it was like there was a point in in lockdown one where I said because I felt so much better physically and mentally I said I don't know if I'd ever go back to touring and she almost like dropped a plate it was like that moment <laughs> and I was like okay so so now even like I used to think it was a bit sneaky of me if I was only doing a gig in Leamington Spa to get a hotel but now sometimes I'll judge it and go I'll just look at how she's feeling and how we feel I'll go I'll, I'll get the hotel tonight you know I'll, I'll just 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 freshen things up. So maybe throw in a hotel as well, Barry. Throw in the odd midweek travelodge. Uh, and to be honest, if his business is not expecting people to come in for the next year, there may be a bit of budget, you know, available for him to to rent a bit of space. Yeah, might be worth yeah. asking. I don't know whether he's legally entitled to it, but I'm surprised if he is, might be. Tell him you're getting abused at home. Yeah, you you feel unsafe. We've got we've got another letter here, which is Rose from Enfield. Um, she says, I have a really bad laugh. I love live comedy, but I've noticed... It's not Andrew Rose Elliot, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> well remembered. Um, I love live comedy, but I've noticed since I've gone back to shows that it annoys the people around me and the comedians often end up mocking me or worse. I mean, first up, yeah, I, I have a habit. If a woman's got a bad laugh in particular, it's because you know how much you can fuck up the room. You'll often try and make them aware of it. It's so bad. I mean, when you think about yeah. it, that's exactly what they're there to do. Um and she wants to know, why has this become an issue now? Uh, I'm thinking of stop going to live comedy because I feel embarrassed. I'm aware that this is a funny problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I also want your advice. Yeah. it's a, You know what? It's an interesting. I had one a, a, about a week ago. and It was a, a rare kind of, um, it was a circuit gig rather than a, yeah. a, a one-man show. And, and there was a... It was a bloke actually was laughing so much on the front row and I heard him through all the previous acts and I was, I was on mm. last and, and as soon as I went out there, it, it started immediately and it wasn't like a silly laugh. It was just, re- it was just over the top. He was just yeah, laughing yeah, at yeah. everything immediately. It just never stopped and it, yeah. and it was really fucking annoying. You know, you're just <laughs> thinking this is like, you're, it's like... Um, I don't know, I can't imagine any other art form or any other performance kind of, you know, where, yeah. where there's an over-enthusiastic response to everything that just, it just eliminates the notion of, of having to do timing. It's like playing football and, and the, you know, your, the goal is like the full width of the pitch. It just eliminates any sense that you've got to try well, for it. You've got to aim it. Because if once they start laughing at everything, it really punctures the idea that anything is hard won. So yeah. it, it sort of makes people self-conscious about their laughter, about yeah, yeah. They never really thought about, am I giving too much or too little here? I'll I mean, give you an example. There was one, there was a Jack T routine that was one of the very first I was aware of when I was like trying to analyse comedy to work out how to do it. And he goes, um, it's been a very cold winter and uh, the government have been issuing warnings to say that you should check on your neighbours to see how they are. And there's an old dear lives next door to me. And you know what? She hasn't been in once. <laughs> to see how I am, and then that's funny. And then the topper is she has you know, lazy cow hasn't even taken her milk in for the last three days, <laughs> and that's the genius punchline, you know. But if you laugh too much at the first one, you know what I mean? It's like yeah, yeah. The, the second one doesn't, you know. There's there, there's we all do that thing in comedy where you kind of go, here's the punchline, but that's not really the punchline. The, yes, you know, yeah. the prestige is coming around the right hook to to now you've let your guard down, you know. Things like that get lost if somebody just has no distinction between what's funny and what's really funny. Well, the closest thing that I can think to that in a social interaction is say that you're talking with somebody who has power or has something that you want or you're being a bit sycophantic or, or it might be the other way around. So if they tell, they go, oh, I've got a really funny story. So you're then under the pressure of like, fuck, there's a point in this where, where I've got to laugh. And yeah. your nervousness <laughs> or your obsequiousness might mean that you laugh at the point that isn't funny. And then yeah. so they, look at you, they see you for the desperate little skank that you are. And yeah. they then have to finish the story where you've basically, you've shown your hand that you're going to laugh at whatever they say. I mean, and I've seen this and I've done this and I've had it done with, with me, but I've seen this, you know, with very famous people in, in like green rooms when I've been writing on shows. It's just, it's, just, it's so, it's so funny. 
like that moment where someone goes, oh my God, that's hilarious. They go, no, no, no that's just- yeah, That isn't it, yeah. That, that, <laughs> it's just the detail. Who are you? Who is this person? You know? Maybe the key would be to um, take lollipops, you know, like hard boiled sweets and, yeah. and hand them out to people to suck if they're laughing too much. I, yeah, I mean, it is- Or, or maybe your, your correspondent could take one herself, you know, and suck on that and maybe she will then, yeah, that will stop her. You know, I Get don't know. recognised as a disability. That's my advice. Get it recognised <laughs> as a disability. Then go and see one of the millionaire comedians. Go and see Michael McIntyre. And then if you're shut down, then that's when you get the payout. Because you're... Or, or wear a mask, I suppose. You could wear a mask, right? Because that's like <laughs> a legitimate thing that would muffle it at least. Uh, listen, Simon, your, your toys. Is there any particular ones that you'd like to give a push on before we go? Oh no! It's uh, we've got one tomorrow. Uh, yeah, tomorrow night in Sudbury, but I don't know whether you'll have it mixed. I should be picking up when, tomorrow morning, which would be Wednesday, so that'll still be time. Okay, so that's a good good one, Sudbury. That's in Suffolk, I think. Sort of is Suffolk. Is that the key theatre? That's right, exactly that. Beautiful. Yeah, and then that's and then beautiful. the uh, in October we've got Andover, got Kettering, uh, got uh, Saffron Walden, Richmond, Ooh. Bakewell. I think Bakewell sold out. High Wycombe. Lots of tours. It's it's called Work of the Devil, and um, it was all seriousness. It's the best show I've ever done. It's and, and, and I should say, just like in terms, you know, what I see in terms of audience response, but also critical response. That rare thing that's unified both, and uh, yeah, it's been enjoyed by by both alike. It's um, been great. Thanks. Yeah, Simon, thanks so much for coming back. It's always a pleasure to have you on co-hosting, and uh, I will see you all next week on what most people think. Thanks, Jeff. Take care, mate. Okay.